Open your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And uh, we've been going verse by verse through 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let me remind you what this book is. These are the final words of the Apostle Paul. Those Words that you're going to read in 100 days, the New Testament, about half of those words were written humanly by the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And these were the final words that the Apostle Paul has written that are recorded in our Bibles. Paul's in prison. He's about to be executed. He knows it. And uh, I don't know if he's worried or not, but he is concerned about the church because he has spent his life teaching doctrine. And he spent his life fending off those false teachers that would unravel the accurate revelation of God's Word. And he's wondering, who's going to take my place? Who's going to be the defender of the faith? And his answer is this man named Timothy. He's a young man. He's a little afraid. And Paul is trying to give him courage to be the man of God who will continue to defend the doctrine, the revelation of God's Word. So it's an important book. Now, let me tell you who I have in mind as we get into this message. It's graduation season. Have you noticed? Did anybody notice everybody dressed up last night in town? Apparently, there were proms taking place and all this stuff going on. And, and uh, uh, there was, there's, everybody's getting ready to, to graduate. Now, at the very least, graduation involves exchanging one set of teachers for another set of teachers. As a parent, this concerns me. I have a graduating senior, the last one, and you understand, um, I've taught you this many times before, if you're a parent, there is a concern for our children. Psalm 127 says, children are like arrows in the hand of a warrior. I like that verse because it describes me as a warrior. If children are like arrows, parents are like warriors. And we have these weapons, these arrows, these children. And the job of a parent is to straighten the arrow, it's to sharpen the arrow, and to shoot the arrow. So graduation season is kind of that time when we're shooting our arrows out, and we want them to fly straight, and we don't want the arrows to have collisions with false teachers. So if you're a parent, your job is to sharpen your children, straighten your children, and shoot your children. Please understand the context in which I say that, okay? So it's, they're locked and loaded. They are ready to go. And if you're a graduate, matter of fact, where are the graduates? If you're a graduate, stand up. Let's acknowledge our graduates. If you're graduating from high school, if you're graduating from college, if you're graduating from kindergarten or VOTEC, we don't want to leave anybody out. Everybody gets a trophy if you're graduating. Now, these are the people that we're concerned about. You guys can have a seat. Some of you are more so than others, but um, we're, we, we want you to succeed. We want you to fly straight. As a parent, we are teachers, and if we've done a good job, we have filled the hearts and the minds of our children with good, solid, biblical doctrine, teaching. Let me tell you somebody else I have in mind as we get into this message. I have in mind this church, every church, this pastor, every pastor, because you give me graciously about 40 minutes to fill your ears with truth. And then there comes that point at the end of the service when I say, you are loved. And you say, okay, that's it. That's all I get for this week. And then I release you. And even though you are loved, 
you are prey. You will be eaten. And I wonder what's going to replace my voice in your ears all through the week. What podcast are you listening to? What Netflix show? What Friends episode is going to unravel everything that I have taught you from God's Word in those 40 minutes that I try to cram it all in? I'm concerned about you, my sheep. Now, the Bible has very specific language for us as we address false teachers. And I want to read it to you here from 2 Timothy chapter 2. Let me, let me kind of set up the context. If you were in church last week, like you were supposed to be in church last week, we found this list of lovers of self. And we found these two categories. Do you remember? Lovers of self. We saw 17 different categories. And God is saying to us, we're, we're all born naturally in love with ourselves. We've got to stop loving ourselves. We've got to become lovers of God. Now, at the end of that list, we pick up in verse 5, and this is what it says. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. So the last of the characteristics of a lover of self is that he has an appearance of godliness, but he denies the power of godliness. And then I want you to notice these three words at the end of verse 5. It's the only command, it's the only imperative in the whole paragraph. He just simply says, avoid such people. There is a command here for you not to do something. It's not to get captured, not to fill your ears with lovers of self, these false teachers. We have to avoid them. Verse 6 goes on and says... For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women. I've asked people to pray for me all week long because I've told them, as a person who's committed to go verse by verse through the Bible, you can't skip the verses you don't like. And anytime a preacher reads a verse and says, I've got to preach a verse that has the two words weak women in it, you need to pray for your pastor. I could blow myself up here at any moment, okay? So we'll get into that here in a minute. It says, these weak women are burdened with sins. They're led astray by various passions, verse seven, always learning, that's good, never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. That's not great. Verse eight, just as Jannes and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith, verse 9, but they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. Avoid such people. On Monday, I uh, had a meeting with one of our elders, Reagan Jones. He works at Notre Dame. And so he said, why don't you just come down to the campus and, uh, and we can meet together over lunch. And so he, he emailed me, as only Reagan would do, military man. He emails me very specific instructions about where to park on Notre Dame. He sends me pictures. He draws on arrows on the pictures, park here, because he knows if I park in the wrong place, I could get fined. 
So I arrive at Notre Dame. I'm very uh, meticulously looking for this particular lot that he's telling me, and yet I'm having a little trouble. I don't know if it's there or there, and I'm late, and so I'm like, ah, I'll just pick a spot. And so I go in, and I have my meeting, and I told him as soon as I got there, he's like, Reagan, I'm not sure I parked in the right lot. He's like, don't worry about it. During COVID, they're not given any tickets. They don't want to stress out the students. And so it, people are just, it's a free-for-all, where to park on the parking uh, on, on the campus. So don't worry about it. So after a nice meeting, I went back to my car and there is a $60 parking ticket on my car because I didn't avoid the place I wasn't supposed to be. If you don't avoid the place where you're supposed to be, it comes at a very high cost. Now, I called Reagan and like, Reagan, come on, man, this is your fault. You're paying this, right? And he's like, hey, you know, so I think he pulled a few strings and I think I don't have to go to jail. I'm going to avoid jail. So anyway, uh, it's very important. There's a high cost if you don't avoid the place that you're supposed to be. Last week, here was the big idea of the message. Last week, we learned the greatest threat to our church is people who are in love with self while believing they are lovers of God. We talked about that, those 34 characteristics, and you sat through that so graciously. Here's the big idea today. Because I naturally love myself, you have to admit it, I'm a born natural lover of myself. Because that is true, the survival of my faith is dependent on avoiding false teachers who also love themselves. Do you remember the title of our series, Fan the Flame? We got that from uh, the first few verses of this book, and Paul says, Timothy, I'm writing to fan the flame into an inferno, from a flicker to an inferno. And he tells them it's your responsibility, and you're doing that here this morning. You scraped yourself out of bed, you came, you grabbed a Bible, you've prayed, and you've done your best to fan the flame. You're fanning the flame of faith in you right now. But there's a second responsibility. Not only do you need to fan the flame, you need to avoid the fire extinguishers. And the fire extinguishers are lovers of self who teach you to love yourself. That's who this is talking about. Avoid such people. Um, last year, I was back home in Oklahoma. I was driving my mom's car. My, my mom has this very, uh, she has a high-end Chrysler 300. It has all the bells and whistles and options on it and everything. And it has this collision avoidance system. How many of you have a collision avoidance system in your car? And it just constantly talks to you. It's like you're about to run into something and it keeps you from wrecking your car, right? Well, um, I was driving my mom's car and this dog ran out in front of the road and I hit the dog. I think the dog survived, but the collision avoidance system did not. It damaged my collision avoidance system, which apparently didn't work anyway because it didn't, didn't, I didn't avoid the dog. So now, guess what? I, I drive her car, and it, it senses phantom dogs everywhere. It's just constantly beeping at me. It's telling me that there's a danger here. And I look, I'm like, I don't see anything. And then there's, it's, it's just, that reminds me of a lot of church people. Some of you are beeping and warning and screaming about things that are perceived threats to you while you do not realize the things that are actually threatening your soul. 
And so Paul wants us to have this collision avoidance system, but it's got to be accurate. So there's a lot at stake. You know, every week it seems like we hear about a high-profile Christian or pastor who gets caught in some kind of a scandal, maybe even other people that renounce their faith altogether. They grow up and they get more sophisticated and, and they just, they just kind of defect from the faith. The objections to our Christian faith range from our high sexual ethic. A lot of people can't endure that, so they're like, I'm out, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do that. Other people object to um, just our belief in the Bible. Other people object to the implausibility of a resurrection or miracles. Other people don't like the idea, the audacity of a God that would actually sentence an unbeliever to hell. More often, people defect from the faith because they become the prey of a pretender, a predator, or an imposter who begins to sow seeds of doubt in their faith. And I'm talking to some of you guys who are graduating, and next semester, you're going to land in a Philosophy 101 class, and everything that professor wants to do is deconstruct what you've been taught to believe. That's a threat to your soul. And so the question will be, what will you believe? And the stakes are high. Please understand, who you listen to and who you avoid will determine how you answer the most important questions in life, such as, did God create man? Or, did man create God? Guess which one your philosophy professor is likely going to teach you. How about this question? Am I a unique creation created by God with intention and purpose, or am I just a product of random chance over eons of time? How about this? Is Jesus the exclusive Savior of the world, or are there many ways to God? Am I a hopeless sinner in desperate need of a rescue from God, or am I basically a good person who's made a few mistakes I hope God will overlook? Is the Bible a reliable, accurate revelation and self-disclosure of God, or Hasn't science disproven most of the Bible? Is the Bible the special revelation of God who speaks graciously and loving to man? Or is the Bible man's best effort to codify morality to keep us all from killing one another? Is marriage a holy covenant initiated by a holy God? Or... Is it, is it just a relational contract for two people who just got old and boring? Is sex reserved exclusively for married people, specifically a biological male and a biological female, or... Is it just a recreational activity to be enjoyed with all the unnecessary commitment and drama? Is my gender assigned by a purposeful God or can I choose? 
How about this? Is church attendance, membership, and participation essential for my spiritual growth? Or isn't Jesus just happy I turned on the live stream? Is God so holy that hell awaits those who reject him? Or is God so loving that in the end, love wins? Who your teachers are, are going to determine how you answer the most important questions of life. And Paul wants us to avoid three types of false teachers. Here's the first one. Avoid pretenders without power. He mentions them here in verse 5, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. These people are hard to detect because they look like you. They, they fit in. They're, they're eloquent in their speech. They're persuasive. Uh, they quote Bible verses. They're in church. They're behind pulpits. They use their behavior to mask the true condition of their heart. But they have no power even to follow their own teaching. There's power available. Notice it says there is a power for godliness. How's it going? How, how are you doing in your personal pursuit of godliness? Do you understand the word godliness? It's, it's a tricky word. There's a sense in which that God wants me to be like him. Now, be careful. There's a lot of teachers that will tell you, you can be like God, you can be God. That's not what we're saying. But we can follow the characteristics and the attributes and the, the love and the, the nature, the, the, the model of God for us, things like love and grace and forgiveness, all of those things is what makes us God-like, godly, godliness. Now, the only power for that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And these false teachers deny that they need the power of Jesus in order to be godly. The people that are most vulnerable to these teachers are the strongest, the most intellectual, the most influential. They don't feel like they need any power outside themselves to be godly. And so they teach good moral behavior, but they don't have any power to pull it off. So much teaching that we hear out there can be summarized with this. Reach within yourself. Try harder. Do better. That is a false gospel. It's a powerless gospel. Any message that excludes Christ as necessary is a powerless gospel. Going to church and working your hardest to be a good person is a powerless gospel. Any message that only addresses your behavior is a false, powerless gospel. Any message that promises you health and wealth if you just have enough faith is a powerless gospel. Having Jesus' hell assurance so that you can live a guilt-free, demonic life is a powerless gospel. Any message that leads you to believe that you can earn God's favor through your own good behavior is a powerless gospel. Performing Christian sacraments like the Lord's Supper or baptism is a powerless gospel. Those things are important, but that's not the gospel. That's the fruit of the gospel. And any message that is not about you turning from sin and 
by faith embracing Christ is the only one who can empower you to live a godly life is a powerless gospel. The Apostle Paul wanted us to know this. Notice what he says in Romans chapter 1. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it, the gospel, is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. Next verse says in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 1, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those, but but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now, I want you to notice something here. Do you see the present tense of this word? If I ask you, are you saved? Many of you would say, yes, I am saved or I have been saved. You'd put it in the past tense. Nothing wrong with that. The Bible speaks of that. I very uh, boldly would say to you, I am saved. But there's also a sense in which those of us who are saved, have been saved, are still being saved. And do you know how you be saved today? It's by doing the same thing that got you saved in the first place. You trust the power of God it's the gospel, it's the word of the cross where every day I humble myself and I understand my only hope is what Christ did on that cross. It's not what I have done, it's what he has done that gives me the power today to continually be being saved. That's the power. Do you understand this? Every failure in the Christian life is a failure to believe the gospel. It's a power failure. And if you're going to live a godly life, you have to embrace the power available to the gospel. So how do I do it? I re-repent and I re-believe the gospel every time I sin. Did you sin this week? Then you need to re-repent and re-believe the gospel. It's not that you lost the status of your salvation, it's that I need to continually engage with the power of God that comes through the gospel. It, the scripture continues and says this. It says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the wor world. This, this is helping us understand the gospel is not just the on-ramp onto the Christian highway, like once you get on it, you graduate onto other things. No, it's the whole highway. The gospel's not just the front door, it's the whole house. The gospel's not just the swim, not just the diving board, it's the whole pool. The gospel is not just the ABCs of salvation, it's the whole alphabet. Everything that I need to live the Christian life comes through the power of God. These false teachers deny they need the power of the gospel. You say, but I feel so weak and I just don't feel like I have any, I've, Trent, I'm suffering and I, I've, I'm going through so much trial. That's why the apostle Paul told us about his trial in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Notice it says, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in my weakness. Do you need power to endure a trial? 
embrace the power of the gospel. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. If you're going through a trial, if you are in any form weak, you've got to rest upon the power of Christ available through the gospel. And these false teachers are pretenders without power because they want to bypass the gospel and do it on their own. They won't humble themselves. They won't express they need any power outside of themselves. Do you remember the way that Paul began the book of 2 Timothy? Notice what he said. He said this. He said, God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. We all need power, and especially if you're a young man and you're about to lose your mentor and about to lose your teacher, man, you better plug into the power because there's pretenders coming after you that want to wreck your faith. Here's the second type of false teacher we have to avoid. We have to avoid predators without compassion. You know what a predator is? You ever watch uh, like National Geographic Channel, like when animals eat people that are little, that's you, okay? So there's, there's people out there that are going to be the prey unless you have a collision avoidance system. I want you to notice here in verse six. God give us grace for verse six. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women. Okay, here we go. Now, what in the world is he talking about when he talks about weak women? Let me first of all tell you this. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible, the Bible does not say women are weak. Turn to your neighbor and say, women are not weak. All the wives are now turning to their husbands and reminding them of the biblical teaching that women are not weak. That's not what this verse says. The Bible does not teach that all women are weak. Now, the Bible does teach there are some women who are weak. So, what is he talking about? The Bible's careful to give us lists. There's a lot of lists of weak men in the Bible. As a matter of fact, there's a much longer list of weak men than there are of weak women. There are lists of strong women in the Bible. The Bible is very careful to help us to understand the strength of women. As a matter of fact, it's believing the Bible, it's believing biblical teacher that has elevated and empowered women throughout the years. The Bible teaches that men and women have equal value, dignity, and worth. But the Bible also teaches that men and women are created differently. How many of you did not even have to read the Bible to understand <laughs> that men and women are different? They're different. Men and women are equal, but they are not the same. In God's design, He's created men and women equal so that He can make us one. They're complementary to one another. They're, they're like the, the grooves of a gear. You put them together and it moves mountains. It, it, the, the power that's available when men and women are in, uh, operating in oneness is incredible because that's the way that God's designed it. So, what is this idea of weak women? The idea is vulnerability. Weak women described here are vulnerable women. Do you know that all the mess in the world 
originated in the first few pages of the Bible when it talks about the original man and the original woman. Do you know the story? You got Adam and Eve. Question, which one was weak? Which one was responsible for all of the junk that you faced this week, all the brokenness and the fallenness in the world? Now, some of you would be tempted to say, well, I know the story. Serpent came to Eve. Eve was weak. In a moment of weakness, she bit the apple. That's not the way that the Bible sees that story. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 5, same one who wrote this verse about weak women, do you know what he said the problem was? The problem was not a weak woman. The problem was a weak man. Romans 5.19 says this, through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Paul doesn't point his finger at a weak woman. Paul points his finger at a weak man. Do you know what this verse is all about? This verse is a call for strong men to take their place loving, honoring, protecting, shielding, nourishing, cherishing all of the women in their life. This is a call for strong men and strong women in the church and the home to create healthy, safe environments where creepy people can't prey on them. Now, if you're a dad, you understand what this, this is all about, right? So, 25 years ago today, I became a girl dad. Today is my oldest daughter's Brooke, Brooke's 25th birthday. If you're a girl dad, I want you to stand up. I want to see all the girl dads. We're the girl dads. Be proud. Look at these girl dads. Isn't that great? Oh, look at, look at this right over here. We got a girl dad holding the girl and the girl's applauding for the girl dad. I didn't set that up, but I'm just cherishing the moment right here. This is amazing. Hey, let's give a hand to all these girl dads out there. All right. All right. You guys can have a seat. Did you guys, did you sense any confidence in their faces as a girl dad? It's like, I, I remember the moment 25 years ago, they handed this thing to me and I'm like, oh my. I felt pretty good about myself until that moment. And I re they didn't give me an instruction manual about how this is working. And I got girl number two now that I'm responsible for. I'm having enough trouble cherishing and loving and protecting and shielding the one that I've got. And now I got number two and then God gave me three of these and I got four and I'm like, oh my goodness, I was doing pretty good until I sensed all this responsibility to be a strong man for my daughter. If you're a girl dad, you understand there are predators. Paul calls them creeps. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women. Now, 25 years ago, I read that verse. It's like, I'm just like, man, I gotta make sure all the doors are locked. I got to make sure all the windows, I mean, I could just imagine somebody like creeping through an unlocked window. That's not what I'm worried about today because every one of my daughters has a phone. And there's some creepy people on those social media accounts. Dads, do you know what kind of creeps your daughter is exposed to? This is a call to dads. 
to make sure that we protect the little girls in our life. That's a weak woman that God gave you. And God's calling you to be a strong man. My daughter Leah, she's my last daughter. She was one of these graduates and she went out last night with a creep. No, I'm just kidding. Um, No, I'm just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. I did not mean that. It was, that was just, should not have said that. I repent, sorry. Where was I? My daughter Leah, she came to me on Friday. Okay, so you gotta know, like Thursday's my big study day. I'm in the cave. I'm like trying to figure out, and like Lord help me figure out how to talk about, about weak women. Like, I don't. So woke up Friday morning, went in the kitchen. My daughter Leah is in there. She's like, Dad, I'm so mad at you. I'm like, what'd I do? She said, I had a dream last night. We were swimming in the ocean and there was this big shark that came after us. You turn around and swam away from me and let the shark eat me. <sighs> She's still mad at me for that. I didn't do that. There is something hardwired into women that know that men are built to be protectors. It's our responsibility to stand between the shark and them, and if necessary, to get eaten alive in order to save their lives. That's what this verse is about. I know why God gave her that dream. I needed a sermon illustration today. So, husbands, let me ask you, Are you strong, standing in the place of protection, nourishing, cherishing, guarding, protecting, shielding your wife from undue pressure, from relational conflict, from your overreactive temper, and from the attacks of the enemy of her soul? Dads, are we protecting our daughters? Church, are we protecting our single women? Older women, let me talk to you. Are you investing your life into younger women, all for the purpose of creating a place where women are strengthened and empowered so that they don't become the prey of predators without compassion? By God's grace, this will be a place where women are honored and protected. Not only that, this will be a place where weak women are made into strong women and weak men are made into strong men. So we need to ask the question, what makes women weak? Three things right here in this passage, I want you to notice them. First of all, he says that these women are burdened with sins. Do you see it right there? That'll make a woman weak when you're burdened with sins, when you are under the weight of the guilt and the shame of the sin of your past. So how is a weak woman made strong? Weak women are made into strong women when they bring all of that sin to Jesus and unload it at the cross and receive his grace and forgiveness and you get a fresh start and a new beginning, that's how weak women are made into strong women. Secondly, it says, not only are they burdened with sins, they're led astray by various passions. Weak women are powerless to control their lustful passions. They're looking for love. 
They're looking for security. They're looking for identity. And you know what oftentimes weak women do? They run to weak men, and these weak women, these weak men use them just so that weak women can get some false sense of security. They're led away by their various passions. So how's that weak woman going to be made strong? Weak women are made strong when they, when they find their acceptance, love, and identity in Jesus rather than in the arms of a weak man. Third thing he says here, there, verse 7, always learning, never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. They're powerless to discern truth. They may be very well educated. They may read books and blogs upon end uh, and never come to the knowledge of the truth. They don't anchor their lives rooted in the revealed truth in Scripture. They're easily led astray by false doctrine, thinking there's got to be some truth out there, some mystic, Gnostic portal into truth rather than what we see down here. And there are a lot of weak women that are feeding that stuff to other weak women. So how are weak women made strong? Weak women are made into strong women when they are grounded in doctrinal truth and they can detect doctrinal error when they see it. All for strong women in the church? Absolutely. Amen. Here's the third thing we have to avoid. We have to avoid imposters without credibility. Verse 8, just as Jannes and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind, disqualified regarding the faith. It's interesting, isn't it? The Bible talks about weak women in general, but he names weak men right here in the passage. Two of them, Jannes and Jambres. They opposed Moses. How many of you remember reading that when you were reading the Bible in 100 days? You remember reading the story about Jannies and Jambres back? How many of you remember reading that? Yeah, that's a problem because they're not anywhere in the Bible except right here. Um, so you didn't read that. You remember how sometimes I talk to you when you're in the, old, in the New Testament, you can like, there's a reference there. If you click on it like a hyperlink, it'll take you back to a story in the Old Testament. If you click on Jannies and Jambres, it's a broken link. Doesn't take you anywhere. So you're like, it's, there's a story here that's not, like, what, what is this? Scholars think that these were probably men, tradition tells us, that were magicians in Pharaoh's court. When, when Moses was doing miracles, they would come with their, their illusions and try to match it. That, it just gives them names. It, it helps us a little bit to understand what the names mean. The name Jannes means one who seduces. The name Jambres means he who is in rebellion. And so those could be just descriptions of those who opposed Moses. And that's true for those who oppose the truth. They're in rebellion against the truth. And they're trying to seduce you to come with them in their rebellion. They're corrupted in mind. It means their mind is twisted. They, they don't think straight. They're unrelenting in their opposition to the truth. They make up things that are untrue, and yet they believe what they're saying. They're disqualified in the faith. 
You ever been disqualified? I mean, you were doing really good until you stepped out of bounds or you got five fouls in a basketball game. You're just like, you're out of the game. You know what this is telling us? These are counterfeit Christians. We call them nominal Christians, which that doesn't mean a marginal Christian. That means a Christian in name only. They present well. They have the appearance of godliness. But in the end, they're exposed as those who are disqualified. They're outside the family of God. Look at verse 9. But they will not get very far. Everybody say amen to that. Doesn't it feel like sometimes these people are winning? Here's the truth. They're going to run out of gas. They're not going to get to the end. They're not going to get to the finish line. They will not get very far. Notice, for their folly will be made plain to all, as was that of those two men. That's great news. Pretenders, predators, imposters are not going to win. They lack credibility and they will be exposed by God. Even though they are wreaking havoc in the world today, even though it seems like those who are anchored and tethered to the truth are in the minority, one day God is going to make it all right. God is going to bring judgment. God is going to exalt and elevate those who are hidden with Christ. And so we can rest in that. My question for you is this, are you avoiding these people? Or are you just carelessly walking through life, allowing false teaching to enter your ears? Avoid such people. And by the way, if you're not being opposed by those who oppose the truth, that may reveal that you have been the prey of a false teacher. Do you pay attention to the lyrics when we sing the songs? They're, they're very intentionally chosen. As a matter of fact, I want you to stand together. We're going to finish the service today by just singing truth. We believe some things. We believe some things about God. He's the triune God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We believe some things about Jesus Christ, about His resurrection, about His death on the cross. We believe some things about justification by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone. We believe that one day He's coming back. We believe that one day His kingdom will be established where we will be unhindered to praise Him eternally. Aren't you looking forward to that day? We need to be reminded today of what is true. 